Welcome to the Community of Hope Church podcast. Our church exists to interest disinterested people in Jesus Christ and then grow together into fully devoted followers of Him. So wherever you are, we hope you find this message helpful, practical, and applicable to your life. God bless. I want to start today by pointing at the baptisms from last weekend to illustrate something about our church. Uh, and so I want to show you the mission statement of Community of Hope. Many of you already know it by heart. Many of you are going through partnership, have gone through partnership. You're very familiar with this. Here's the mission statement of our church. Let's read it together out loud. Ready, go. We exist to interest disinterested people in Jesus and grow together into fully devoted followers of him. Now, if you notice here, right here about this first clause is everything we did on the beach last weekend. We're interesting, disinterested people in Jesus. Most everybody who got baptized was either giving their heart and their life to Jesus, which if you're new to church or faith or spirituality, here's what that means. It means that they've learned enough about Christianity, about faith, more importantly, learned enough about the person of Jesus Christ that they say, I want him to be my Lord. I want him to be my leader. I want him to be my forgiver. And I want him to be my friend. And I invite him into my heart. And I'm going to follow him all the days of my life. That's what that means. They've fallen in love with what it means to follow Jesus and the hope that he brings to all of life and to the life to come. So we love, we exist to interest disinterested people in Jesus Christ. Now I want to point you to the second half of our mission statement. That's not the whole shebang. That's the first half. The second half is that we want to grow together into this word here. These two words, fully devoted followers of him. Fully devoted followers of him. So if you're here today and you're navigating faith, um, I know a lot of people in our culture, sometimes they've never been to church ever before. And sometimes people, it's been a while since you've been to church and maybe you're re-navigating your faith. If that's you, I want to tell you today that Jesus is the best thing that you could put your life to. And the best decision you can make is to follow him because he makes all of life better. He doesn't necessarily make life easier, but he makes life better, right? Right. He makes life better. I believe that to the core of my being. And for everyone who says yes to following him, we believe that we want to grow people together into fully devoted followers of him after they say yes. We're going to explore what does that mean? What does the word fully devoted mean today? We're going to unpack all of that. So we're in this series in our church we're calling Reassembly Required, where we're having important conversations about the church, of what is the church? Why does it matter? Why should I be a part of it? And we think we need to have some important conversations about that in light of some things that have been going on in our culture. Pastor Dale kicked off our series last week and did a fantastic job for us um, talking about this idea of church. And he started off by saying so much in our, in our society and in our culture is being deconstructed, is being challenged, and many institutions are dissolving in our midst. And some don't know, will these institutions endure or not? Are they going to be transformed? Are they going to crumble? Are they going to recover? Who knows? And church is one of those. And these are trends that are happening all across our culture before COVID happened. And we all know COVID just accelerated every trend that was happening in our culture and doubled the speed of a lot of things that are happening, which means it doubled the speed of people's questioning 
about the importance of church and what it is. And so we started last week with the first time the word church even began in the New Testament, and it's our theme verse for this series. So it's Matthew 16, verse 18. We have the second half of it right here, and this is our theme verse for the series. And this is Jesus speaking about the church, really giving a prophecy about this group of people he calls the church. He said, on this rock, I will build my, here it is, church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. See, it's one of the great mysteries of the world of how this thing, the church, it's not a building, it's a people, it's not a monument, it's a movement, of how this thing called the church that Jesus launched has endured throughout the centuries. Many people talk about the ancient mysteries uh, or the mysteries of the ancient world like who built the pyramids? No, it's not aliens. Don't come at me with your conspiracy podcast. Um, How did the floating gardens get built? I mean, they have all these questions about the ancient world. Who built Stonehenge? How did all these things happen? Well, legitimately, historians ask the question of how in the world did this fledgling movement of 12 uneducated, um, low-class people in Israel go to change the entire world? How did it survive the Roman Empire? How did it survive martyrdom where just following Jesus meant you were to die a bloody, awful death? How did it survive all the heresies and counterfeit forms of Christianity that rose up? How did it survive even across the centuries the corruption even within its own movement? How does it keep rolling out? How does it keep growing? And today, still, this is something that Dale highlighted last week, the church of Jesus is still, 2,000 years later, the fastest growing, largest movement in the entire world. It works in whatever context it's put in. It works in the Western world. It works in the Eastern world. It works in closed context. It works in open democratic societies. It works with men. It works with women. It works with children. It works with older people. It's worked across all the generations and all of time and how everything has changed except the message of Jesus. How is that? How is that, that this thing keeps enduring and the gates of Hades have not been able to overcome it? How? Well, this is how Dale explained it last week, and this is the core thought that's going to drive a lot of our series moving forward. The church is God's idea. It's not our idea. It's not my idea. I'm not sure if this would have been my plan A to save the world, but it's God's plan A. It's God's idea and God's main way to accomplish his purpose. And what's his purpose? To bring heaven to earth and to bring redemption to everything. That's how. And so last week we looked at the first time the word church was in the New Testament. Today we're going to continue that conversation. And we're going to talk about um, Jesus later on talking about the church and giving the mission for the people called his church. In fact, you can find, if you have your Bible, or if you have your notes, go ahead and grab that, open those up, open up to the Community of Hope app if you have it so you can follow along. Our passage for today comes from the last four verses of the Gospel of Matthew. We're going to start in verse 16 through 20, and these are some of Jesus' parting words to his disciples. And it says this here, Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee. Remember, they lost one because of Judas. The eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of 
all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Let's pray. Lord, I pray for grace this morning upon our hearts. Not just grace as mercy, but grace as an enabling power to expand our hearts to receive more of you today. Lord, I pray for people to learn new things today about you and about your movement. I pray for people, um, including me, to hear your voice fresh today. And that this wouldn't be about me, and this wouldn't be, as the Apostle Paul says, a demonstration of wise and persuasive words. I'm not that good. Um, But Lord, it would be a demonstration of your Holy Spirit's power in our midst, in our fellowship. Come Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. Amen. Okay, so what we just read, let's talk about this for a moment. If you're taking notes, this is what's commonly known as the Great Commission. If you're new to your Bible, maybe you've downloaded the YouVersion Bible app on your phone, it will have a heading in there that publishing companies that translate this from Greek into English, they break it up into headers so you can understand it a little better. It's always called the Great Commission. Jesus didn't call it this. We call it this to understand it. The Great Commission. And this is where Jesus said, if he gave the prophecy about the church, how the gates of hell and the gates of Hades will not overcome it, this is the mission statement for his church and the mission statement of every church that seeks to be faithful to what Jesus originally intended his movement to be. Now, uh, let's dissect this a little bit more. So we're going to look at this here in verse 19, I believe, the Great Commission. So he says, first off, therefore, go and make disciples. Disciples. Now, he's not saying go and make fans, go and make people who are identified by wearing Christian t-shirts that listen to Christian music and have Christian bumper stickers on their car. He's not saying that. He's saying go and make a disciple, make disciples of me. And simply a disciple is somebody, it's not necessarily one of the 12. If you're a disciple, you don't have to wear robes. You don't have to do that. A disciple is somebody who, as Dallas Willard said, is a close follower, an apprentice of Jesus. A disciple is somebody who wants to follow so closely to Jesus that they learn to live as Jesus lived and learn to do as Jesus did. A disciple, close follower, apprentice of Jesus. It's easy to get lost in some of these languages, some of these words, the original meaning. So I'm going to interchange apprentice and discipleship all across this morning. So he's saying is go and make disciples. Make more of you what I've done with you 11. How we've done life together. I've shown you to do what I do. Go make more of you. Go make more apprentices of me. Baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. We did that at the beach. This resembles the first half of the Great Commission. Introducing people to this Jesus and helping them become interested in becoming an apprentice of his because of all the hope and life it brings to be reconciled to God through Jesus. That's the first half of the Great Commission. Now, here's the second half in verse 20. Now, this is where this often gets neglected, not on purpose, just sometimes we're so given to the first part of it, especially in a context like ours, where Palm Beach County has been named the most unchurched county in America. Not the most unchurched city in America, unchurched county, where so many people are disinterested in Jesus, we have to put a lot of emphasis on the first part of the Great Commission. But the second part is as equally important. 
And Jesus said, teach them to obey. Obey? Everything. You mean not like 75% Jesus? Like do a good job and get most of this? No. Teach them to obey everything I have commanded you. I think sometimes when we read this and when I can try to look at this with fresh eyes, it's kind of strange to hear somebody say, do everything I'm telling you to do. It almost sounds like a boss. You know what I mean? Does it make sense? It sounds odd to people. I think a lot of people, when they read this language, you're teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. I think a lot of people, especially people who might be newer to faith, kind of read that and go, yuck. And it feels weird. Like, what is, why would Jesus infringe on my freedom like that? Has anybody ever felt that way before when you've read scripture like that? I'm seeing a couple heads. Why would Jesus say something like this? Teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. Let's talk about freedom for a moment. I think a lot of times in our context today, which we live in a society that's called, many philosophers call it a postmodern society. We live in a post-truth society. People kind of live their own deal. And there's two concepts of freedom that we have in our society. You might not know. You might all call it one, but there's two concepts of it. One is negative freedom. One is positive freedom. Negative freedom is the type of freedom is freedom from something. Freedom from something. My really good friend Kyle often says, this is his favorite catchphrase, don't tell me what to do. Hey, Kyle, have a great day. Don't tell me what to do, right? People often say those types of things where they think freedom is where nobody can tell you what to do. In fact, this is identified by uh, this great Scandinavian philosopher and ice sculptor and singer, Princess Elsa. So she says this here. She says this here. And Frozen, and the famous song, Let It Go. Nobody break out into singing. If you don't, I won't, okay? (laughs) But look at this. This is how deeply embedded this philosophy is in our culture. We're being educated in it one Disney movie at a time. (laughs) No right, no wrong, no rules for me. I'm free. That's negative freedom. You see it? Can I ask you a question? Is this type of freedom actually making us more free as a society and as a culture and as a people? That no right, no wrong, no rules for me, I'm free. The author John Mark Comer says this, that this type of thinking, this type of worldview has no moral absolutes. The only moral absolute this type of thinking has is my own personal happiness. And anything that infringes on my happiness and infringes on my freedom is bad. But I think that's eating us alive, don't you? That's negative freedom. There's a different type of freedom, which is a positive freedom. If you guys can go back to verse 20, would you mind? There's a different type of positive freedom. That's not freedom from something. It's freedom for something. Our friends in our recovery community and people who have experienced the power of God in any 12-step program we'll all talk about experiencing power from their higher power, which we understand is Jesus Christ, that gives them the ability to choose sobriety and experience freedom. 
It's not freedom from rules. I need somebody to set me free so I can follow a path of life. I don't have the power to choose the good. There's freedom that Christianity offers. It gives me power to choose what's good, to choose life, choose joy, choose peace, and to be able to say no to destructive things that's burning my own life down. When Jesus says, I'm going to teach them to obey everything I've commanded you, that's not restrictive. That's real freedom, y'all. That's real freedom. It's real freedom. Yeah. You can clap for that. So, when Jesus talks about he's offering freedom, when people learn to walk in his ways, when people learn to act this out, this is the notion of full devotion we're getting at. Now, this is true all throughout Scripture. I could share with you at least 30 or 40 verses today, um, but my job is not to keep you all the way till lunch. I have a limited amount of time. I'm going to show you two. One from the Old Testament, one from the New Testament. Here's one from 1 Kings 8. It says here, 1 Kings 8, 61. And may your hearts be fully committed to the Lord our God to live by his decrees and obey his commands at this time. This word here in the ancient Hebrew, it's called, uh, actually, I'm not going to say it. I'm going to jack it up and somebody in our church will go wrong. So I'm not going to embarrass myself. But this phrase here in Hebrew, to be have a heart that is fully committed to the Lord. And a heart that's fully committed is not, I really love God with my emotions. And I'm really passionate about God. But my life doesn't reflect it at all. Wrong. It's a type of full heart, uh, full heart commitment to God that is shown by following his decrees and obeying his commands. Now, this same word in Hebrew for a fully committed heart is tied to the word in Greek in the New Testament that Jesus uses in Matthew 5. Listen to this. If this is one of the most impossible verses in the entire Bible, if you don't understand what Jesus is saying, Jesus says, be perfect. What? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Jesus, yeah, right. There's no perfect people except you. Lower the bar a little bit, dude. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying here is have your heart empowered by the grace of the Holy Spirit to be so fully committed. It's the same word just translated in different ways in English. To be so fully committed, so given over, so wholly devoted to God that you can walk in his ways and become such an apprentice of Jesus that you are imitating your heavenly father just as Jesus did. It's that close of an apprenticeship where you begin to imitate Christ as Christ imitates the Father. And so here's a working definition. What does full devotion mean when Community of Hope uses this language? We have it here on the screen. Full devotion is this. It's a lifelong, it's not instantaneous, it's not a light switch, it's not going to happen in one moment. It's a lifelong realigning of your whole heart and life to Jesus. It's the lifelong realignment of your entire heart, the whole thing, and your entire life, the whole thing, to following the way of Jesus and being an apprentice of his. Now, when some people read that, they go, that's really cool, but that's for Green Beret Christians. And I'm kind of like Christian light. I come to church every now and then. I get my feel goods. I go home. I hear that. 
But you got to understand, it's one of the core convictions of our church. Core value number seven for community of hope is that full devotion is actually normal for every single follower of Jesus. This is what we believe, what we think Jesus taught. He doesn't want somebody to go light with him. He wants somebody to be fully committed, fully devoted, all on, totally in on being an apprentice of him to learn to do what he did and to become just like him. This is God's dream and God's mission for his church. Great. Why does this matter for your life? Because right now we've had a wonderful Bible study and you can go high five somebody on the way to first watch for brunch. Why does this matter? Well, I, like I said at the beginning of the message, COVID has accelerated some things in our culture and dismantled some things in our culture. And some things have begun to crumble in our culture. And we think some reassembly is required for how we understand what we're all doing here and what's the purpose of all of this. Um, I came across a study this week I want to share with you that was totally fascinating to me that's going to help illustrate everything that we're talking about. Um, the great research group, the Barner Group, led by George Barna, did a comprehensive study in 2011 of spirituality in America. And they did by phone interview 15,000 people to get a snapshot of spiritual life in America. And what they learned was fascinating that broadly speaking across all Americans in our nation that most people start on a spiritual journey and somewhere along the spiritual journey they have what's called 10 transformational stops. That there's really starting from beginning of being totally disinterested in Jesus and on a spectrum of all the way to full devotion to Jesus, there are 10 steps of growth in your spiritual journey. And they talk about if you want to live a maximum faith life, you have to walk through these 10 steps. And here's what they are real briefly. First off, number one, he says, people start off, they're unaware of sin. They don't care about sin. They don't even know what the word sin means. They're just doing their life. You do you, boo, right? They're unaware of sin. Then they move to indifferent of sin, which means they know what sin is, but they just don't care. And then all of a sudden, something happens in their heart, and God's moving in their heart, and they've become indifferent to sin, To now they become worried about sin. They begin to feel the heaviness of sin and their separation that they might feel with God. Maybe they're beginning to believe that there is a God in the first place. Well, then they cross from being worried about sin to asking Jesus to be their Lord, leader, forgiver, friend, and they become forgiven from sin. And then they go from being forgiven to sin, they're forgiven, and they become active in a church. And they begin participating in the life of a church. They might join a group. They might join a serving team. Wonderful. Great. You guys notice how there's five more steps missing? Six. Is then after a while, they begin to feel a holy discontent. Not discontent and people begin to grumble. That's bad. But they begin to have a holy discontent. For they want more with their walk with God. Maybe they want more for their family. Maybe they want more for their city or more for the culture that seems to be crumbling apart. Holy discontent turns into being broken by God. Not in some mean, vindictive way, but broken by God means God breaks your heart for the things that break his. And you become so close in your apprenticeship with God that you begin to grieve what God grieves. How God grieves sin, and God grieves our selfishness, and God grieves our broken society, and our hearts begin to break for the things that breaks God's heart. And when people move from brokenness by God, they move into full surrender to submission, say, it's all 
yours, Jesus. Hands off on everything. My life, my resources, my time, it is all yours. Use it however you want. And that turns into transformation for the goal of Christianity, which is number nine, profound love for God. And 10, profound, profound, sacrificial, giving your life over, love for other people. Interesting, is it not? Here's the data of where they found out where Americans are. A company called Seabed did a video where they did a chalk drawing of this. So notice it starts from one all the way to 10, unaware of sin, indifferent to sin, worried by sin. It starts with 1%. People just don't know, don't care. Kind of know, still don't care. Worried about sin, 16 or 39%. It goes 1%, 16%, 39% of Americans. Over 50% are all right here, disinterested in Jesus. And then when they say yes to Jesus, that's 9%. People say yes to Jesus, and they're active in a church, 24% of Americans. Okay, cool. Well, that's interesting to try to look at the data, but what's fascinating when you look at the data of this is when you flip over to the second half, 6 through 10. People who've experienced holy discontent, just 6%. People being broken by God where they're so close and following Jesus, only 3%, their hearts break for the thing that breaks God's. Only 1% of people are surrendered and submitting to God. And only half a percent of people are experiencing profound love for God and profound love for people. So if you just add the numbers to here, go to the next slide. Look at this here. So in our nation, 89% of people are somewhere in the message of Jesus, experiencing the first half of the Great Commission. Learning to become a disciple of his, becoming interested in him, learning to become a follower of him. Only 89% of the 330 million people in America are anywhere on this spectrum. And a small, emaciated 11% of people have moved on to what I'm calling the second half of the gospel of Jesus. Remember we said earlier that full devotion is normal for every follower of Jesus? That God expects this from every single person who wants to become an apprentice of Jesus, that not just become forgiven and then start going to church and then begin to order off the menu of church activity for the rest of your life. God's dreams that people experience the second half of the move of Jesus, deep transformation in him. And somehow in America, we've not moved from the first half into the second half of the dream of the heart of Jesus for every single follower of his. And let me tell you, we've seen that. Not just in our context, yes, in our context, but all across our nation. Where Pastor Dale and I, one of the things that breaks our hearts, not saying I'm all the way there, one of the things that breaks our hearts that we think breaks the heart of God is COVID showed us some things. COVID showed us that in people's apprenticeship, they've been more apprenticed by their social media feed and their social media platforms. And people have been more apprenticed by their political party on both sides of any cultural issue. I'm not here to pick on any side. I'm here to pick on both sides. People have been apprenticed by their political party. People have been apprenticed by their favorite cable news channel. People have been more apprenticed by their favorite podcast host rather than being apprenticed 
by Jesus Christ to move from the first half into the second half to become, have a deep life transformation, to learn to imitate Jesus and realign their whole life and heart to him. Somewhere along the way, we learned to only do this half, but not the second half. We have some reassembly required to do, church. Um, this past week, um, I went to, I had a conference I had to go to, and uh, I met up with a group of pastors who are in what's called, I have a covenant group. And these are fellow pastors in the state of Florida who are friends of mine. We do life together. And um, we went to a restaurant called Fred's. Now, guys, I know I told you to disable it. Is there still a way you can put up the Fred's picture? Maybe. Okay. So this is Fred's. And it's a great restaurant in Lakeland. It's a southern-style buffet breakfast. We're talking eggs, biscuits, and gravy. Where's my biscuits and gravy people at? Woo! Amen. Praise God, right? Don't leave just yet to go get biscuits and gravy. Biscuits and gravy and bacon and sausage. I mean, it was just the country buffet breakfast. Boom sauce, awesome. So I got to Lakeland at like 10.30 at night on Wednesday, and my group was supposed to get together at Fred's for breakfast on Thursday morning. Well, I was about 10-ish minutes late um, early in the morning. It was just that turnaround from getting in late to getting up really early to go see them before our conference started. And um, I was trying to get with the guys. I said, okay, Fred. So I got in my car. They were staying in Lakeland. I was staying in Plant City. And so I put in my phone, Fred's. It showed me Fred's. I hit Fred's. I hit go on my phone, and it took me to Fred's. And it took me about 10 or 15 minutes to get there. I walked in. I see the buffet. I smell the biscuits and gravy. Life is good. Boom. Awesome. Except none of my friends are there. Remember, I'm late. So I should be the last one, not the first one. And I begin to go, uh-oh. Uh oh. And I called my buddies. I said, Hey, is there another Fred's in town? They're like, Yeah, there's like seven of them. Like, this would have been helpful information last night. (laughs) I punched in Fred's on my phone and it took me to the other side of town. Y'all, I was 45 minutes late for breakfast with my covenant group. Dag gummits, right? Shoot. You know what that teaches me? It teaches me that if you put the wrong destination in, you'll have the wrong map every single time. Go back to the graph, please. If only this is your destination, your map for Christianity will be wrong the whole time because you'll never go the second half of the gospel. And my goal today is to stir up faith and passion in us as a church that says, Being forgiven and active in church is not the finish line, but there is more. Are you hungry for more? And the more is to become so consumed with the love of Jesus by following close to him. The ancient writers talked about the love of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit being a living flame of love that would consume me so that all that I am left is profound love for God and profound love for other people. I'm not there yet, but I want to get there. So here's why this matters for you. There's more. 
where, if you are identified as a follower of Jesus, if you're not yet a follower of Jesus, say yes today. We'll baptize you soon and not in crashing waves, hopefully. It's the best thing ever. And if you've already said yes to Jesus, move your finish line from being active in church to being utterly and deeply transformed by the love of Christ. I'm telling you, that close apprenticeship followership of Jesus is what you're hungry for. All the things that you're searching for in life, they're found in that. The secret to a truly happy life is close apprenticeship with Jesus and having him change everything. The happiest people in the world that I've ever met are the holiest people I've ever met. And not holy roller fundamentalism, weird religion, but people who are consumed with divine love type of holiness. You want to be happier in life? Walk closer to Jesus. Remember what we said at the beginning of the sermon, that the church is God's idea and his best way to change the world. The way God changes the world is through people who follow in close apprenticeship with Jesus, who have been totally transformed by love. When individuals do this, when families commit to full devotion, when churches commit to full devotion, it ends up slowly, one person at a time, spreading over entire communities and over entire counties and then across entire states and countries. It spreads and brings transformation. We're not going to change the world through all these other worldly forms, we change the world by internal transformation to the image of Jesus. You want to save the world? Become fully devoted so other people around you will catch the infection. And here's the last thing I want to tell you. There's going to come a day if you self-identify as a follower of Jesus where he will challenge you to step into full devotion with him. I hope today is that day for you. My day was February 8th, 2003. I was in college, and I had been experiencing a personal renewal of my faith. I was at Florida State University and had profound encounters with God and was filled fresh with the Holy Spirit. And I was also struggling with secret sin in my life. I was addicted to some things. I couldn't kick some bad habits. I was a mess inwardly, but outwardly I was trying to go for more. And I was on a retreat and I have this little book here called, it's a devotion book called My Utmost for His Highest. Anybody ever read this before? It's a classic. Um, read your Bible first and then supplement it with stuff like this. Don't, don't exchange it for this. But this is a wonderful supplement. And let me read for you from February 8th. And this is Oswald Chambers writing. I'm going to read to you what I read on that day. Are we prepared to be caught up into the swing of this prayer of the Apostle Paul? Are we prepared to say, quote, and we're going to put this prayer up on the screen. Lord, make me as holy as you can make a sinner saved by grace. Jesus has prayed that we might be one with him as he is one with the Father. The one and only characteristic of the Holy Ghost in a person is a strong family likeness to Jesus Christ and freedom from everything that is unlike him. Are we prepared to set ourselves apart for the Holy Spirit's work in us? Here's the challenge today. Would you pray this prayer? 
and move on to the second half of the gospel of Jesus, to become fully devoted to him, to have your life totally transformed by him. And for you to raise your hand and say, Lord, just don't forgive me of my sin. Free me completely from sin and make me as holy as you can make a sinner saved by grace. When you start to get people in that type of Christianity, the world changes. Let's realign what we're here for. We're here so that we all move on to this. And if we do, we just might change the world. So Lord Jesus, I pray just as you lovingly, by the power of the Spirit, arrested my heart in 2003, pour out your Spirit now on all of us here. so that we would move on to the second half of the gospel, that we would move on to full devotion, that we would move on not just being from forgiven of our sin and active in church, but we would move on to being freed completely from our sin, not by our strength, but by your power. Lord, would you do it? In your name we pray and everybody said, amen. We're gonna open up the altar here. If you wanna come pray, maybe pray that prayer to Jesus, come to these steps. If you wanna pray about anything going on in your life, we're gonna have some prayer teams here on the sides. Let's come seek God for full devotion. So Lord Jesus, with open hearts, as we're seeing these words that we're available to you, we say yes to you. Lord, I pray that people would say yes first to becoming followers of you if they're not yet. And for those of us who already self-identify as apprentices of yours, as followers of yours, as disciples of yours, Lord, we say yes to the second half of your message that you would teach us to obey everything you have commanded because that's actually real freedom. Lord, would you lead us all as a church to reclaim your vision of full devotion for every apprentice and disciple of yours. We say yes to it all. We can't do it on our own strength, but by your grace and by the power of the Holy Spirit, we raise our hands and say, Lord, if you'll help, we say yes. We say yes. We say yes, Lord. Community of Hope says yes to full devotion to you. We say yes. Take us on this lifelong journey to realign all of our hearts and all of our lives to all of you. We pray this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. All God's people said, amen. Friends, prayer teams are gonna stay up here and linger for a little bit, but otherwise go in God's peace. We'll see you next week.